Amen. Every praise is to our God. Welcome this morning. Uh, for those who are in person, those who are also uh, online there, welcome to you. Whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, be sure to heart, to like, to share uh, there. And then also our phone live streaming, welcome to those who are listening uh, on that resource that we have too. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you have access to the church website, go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab. You can download today's worship bulletin. Uh, you can also download the children's worship bulletin. You can send links to people if you need. Uh, those are in the windowsill to my right for ages 7 and up, ages 3 and up. Uh, the bulletins are at the doors uh, as well as in the windowsills uh, also. And then don't forget that you can also download under that info tab the prayer list. So be sure to get that downloaded and be praying through that list uh, throughout this week. Uh, we'll update that again this Wednesday. So if you have any requests that you need to make, please call the church office. Uh, give us a note. Uh, we'll be glad to put those uh, on the prayer list. Uh, if you need one of those in person, they are out here in the magazine racks across from the office. So again, just want to say welcome. If you're one of our first-time guests, I want to encourage you on the sides of the stage at the doors as you leave to pick up one of our gift bags. It just has some resources in it that we want to give to you uh, as a way to say thank you. It's got some information about our church, uh, some gifts in it for you too. I think there's even some candy in there too, so be sure to pick up uh, one of those. And we just wanted to say welcome to you this morning. So Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us in our first hymn. Join us as we sing this morning, brethren, we've met to worship. Uh, the words are on the screen since you don't have books yet. Hopefully next week the pews will be here. We're hoping. So uh, anyway, stand with us and, and sing 379, brethren, we have met to worship. All four verses, Tommy.
Amen. As you have your bulletins there, you'll notice our missionary of the week is Courtney Mobs. Uh, she has been serving uh, and ministering to the American people. She is one of our summer uh, missionaries uh, that most of the time are from college uh, that have gone out to serve. Uh, she has served uh, in Colombia at a refugee center. Uh, she was discouraged at the start, start of her time there because a few refugees would engage and she began to struggle for her purpose. Uh, one day Courtney was uh, to teach a women's group, but when it came time, uh, no one showed up. And so she uh, was devastated and began to pour her heart out to God, asking him to bring souls uh, to hear his word. And not even 10 minutes later, some women began to show up for that Bible study. And so there are summer missionaries from our colleges that are serving in places, helping our missionaries all around this world. So we especially want to pray for them, uh, praying for our tithes and our offerings that go to support those missionaries each and every Sunday. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing of this day. Thank you that we can come into your presence to worship you. And Father, no matter where, where we are here this morning, uh, if we're here as a person who uh, has just a nominal understanding of who Jesus is, maybe we never trusted in him as our Lord and our Savior, I pray this day of worship uh, will speak to each and every person's heart. Uh, Lord, if you're a person who is uh, a, a longtime saint, who is uh, faithfully growing in their walk with you, may this be an encouraging service for them also. And Lord, we especially want to uplift our missionaries uh, this morning uh, who are serving all around this world and those who are assisting them, especially those summer missionaries uh, who go for short-term times, uh, to be able to help those missionaries sharing the gospel, teaching your word. We pray for Courtney Mobs as she continues uh, to seek in her heart your will for her and the call upon her life for her ministry. And Father, we pray for many other summer missionaries to feel the call to go even next summer. Uh, and so, Father, we ask your blessings upon them. Protect our missionaries, provide for them, bless us so that we can be a blessing to them uh, financially to support them on the mission field. And Lord, we just pray that everything we do this morning uh, will bring glory and honor to you. And Lord, that you will uh, bless us in a special way with the truth of your word. So have your hand upon us, uh, lead us and guide us in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, again, it's good to see you. Let me just remind you, you can do your, offer, your envelopes. Uh, the offering envelopes are in the windows. Uh, some of them are in the pews there. Be careful if you're new uh, this morning with the pews. These are not anchored down, hopefully, as uh, Brother Mike said. We'll have those uh, other pews back next Sunday. Uh, pray for that. Uh, we'll have a wonderful time with that. Uh, but then, and those will hopefully, those will be anchored back down from where, like they were before. Uh, but let me just encourage you to pick up your envelope there. Uh, you can give your offering in the plates here at the doors as you leave. But if you want to, you can also do that on our website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab. Easy platform. You can do that from home or you can even do that in person. So again, thank you for being here. Brother Mike, come and lead us again. Join us again as we sing, My Jesus, I Love Thee. It's 210 in our books. Yeah. 
Next song uh, will be uh, Now I Belong to Jesus. I'd love for you to stand and the children as they gather over for Children's Church on the piano side. Uh, let's sing Now I Belong to Jesus. Our special music will be led by Miss Martha Brooke Hood, so pray for her as she leads us.
But from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. So you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owed, broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious light. You took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. And now death has no sting. Life has no end, but I have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. me from the 
darkness into glorious light. If you will, and turn to John's Gospel once again, to John chapter 17. I don't know if we're going to get through all the verses this morning, so we may have part of it this morning and then part of it next Sunday morning. Uh, but this is such a powerful, powerful prayer uh, that we'll see here in John 17. In fact, I've entitled this message this morning, The Greatest Prayer. Uh, and you'll see why when we get through uh, this entire prayer. Uh, there is so much in this prayer. We could spend a couple of months just going through each one of the, the points of uh, this prayer. But let's stand and let's read God's Word in honor of His Word. We're going to begin with verse 1 and then look over to verse 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father... The hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Then look on down to verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word this morning. Father, we thank you for this awesome, wonderful prayer that we have an entire chapter of, uh, the longest prayer that Jesus himself prays. And so, Father, I pray this morning that there will be plenty, multitude of application for us that will come out of this passage, that whether we are here this morning and we're a, a seasoned saint, Father, that this will encourage us in our prayer walk with you uh, to have a deeper prayer time with you. Uh, or, Lord, if we're just beginning, uh, that we would call out to you in simple prayers. And, Father, may you hear us this morning as we come to you with repentant hearts, seeking your will to be done in our lives. So bless your word. And bless this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. If there were such things in the Bible as better chapters, this would probably be one of those chapters. The doctrine that you see here in this prayer that Jesus gives us uh, for, for our lives, we could spend uh, a lot of time here uh, and, and never scale the heights or fathom the depths uh, of this prayer. Here we have what some have called the real Lord's Prayer. Now remember Jesus had been asked by his disciples earlier in Matthew's Gospel, uh, teach us, Lord, to pray. And we have what we tend to call the Lord's Prayer. But this is what some would call the real Lord's Prayer, the greatest prayer ever prayed. Some call it the Holy of Holies a prayer. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce uh, says that in approaching this chapter, we ought to feel a little bit like Moses at the burning bush. He, he suggests that we should remove our shoes uh, for John 17 is indeed holy ground. Uh, as we're entering into and listening in, if you will, eavesdropping in, on a prayer that Jesus is praying to the Father in heaven. What a great, no greater example of a prayer here than John 17. And so uh, we're going to look at this prayer that's being prayed. We're also going to look at the one who prays 
this prayer because that's just as vitally important as we go through chapter 17 here. <clears throat> you know, if you listen to a person pray, it'll reveal a lot about their priorities and a lot about a person's identity. If you heard a prayer that said something like this, Lord, I want a new bicycle, who would you think's praying that prayer? A kid, a child. Someone praying to find a spouse is hopefully single. <laughs> Somebody who's praying for wisdom in selecting a college is most likely a, a high school student or a recent graduate. In other words, when you hear a prayer that a person prays, you can tell a lot about the identity of the person doing the praying simply by listening to their prayers. That's true all throughout the Bible. When you, when you read prayers that different individuals prayed all throughout the Bible, you can see a lot of their character and the very heart of who they are. So the question then is, when we come to chapter 17 here is, what can we learn uh, about Jesus by listening to this prayer? Not just what can we learn about the prayer, but what can we learn about Jesus? And, and what can we apply to our own lives as we ourselves seek to glorify the Father as a direct answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed? So the first thing I want you to get this morning is this, is that Jesus lived a life of intimate prayer. Jesus lived a life of intimate prayer. As we said before, it's kind of like here we're, we're eavesdropping uh, on the greatest prayer ever prayed. Uh, one, because of the setting, uh, the night of his arrest, also because of the subject, the glory of the Father, and it's one of the greatest prayers because of the speaker, Jesus Christ himself. So when you read this prayer and we go through this entire prayer, one of the things you're going to see is this, is that the language of this prayer indicates a relationship. The language of this prayer indicates a relationship. Now that applies to us also because when we pray, our prayers ought to indicate a relationship that we have with God the Father. So the language Jesus uses here tells us a lot about the relationship Jesus had with the Father. What about yours? How is your relationship with the Father? We said in Matthew 6, uh, Jesus uh, condemns flowery, repetitious prayers uh, that are only to be seen and heard of men. So clearly, we shouldn't be preaching, uh, pre praying prayers uh, just to be uh, thought holy. Uh, now, that doesn't criticize anybody's prayer. Uh, that's a hard issue. Uh, what we're looking at here, though, is examining our own hearts, our own prayers, and asking, is my prayer, are my prayers just a stale, uh, routine prayer uh, that I could just pray without ever thinking? Is it repetitious uh, that I didn't even have, don't even have to think about uh, what I'm praying? Uh, when you pray, let me ask you this, does it sound like you know the one who you're praying to? That ought to be vitally important. When you see Jesus here, uh, he lifts up his eyes to heaven in verse 1, and he says, Father, Abba. That's how he told, it, told his disciples how to begin their prayers. And so he begins his prayer the same way he taught them. Father, he says, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. 
So, so notice here in this prayer, first we see uh, about him, uh, who he's talking to. We see uh, his deity. Uh, in, in two times in these first five verses, uh, as we'll see, Jesus calls God Father. Two times he refers to himself as a son. And Jesus says, the Father has given him all authority. He speaks of being sent by the Father. He claims he was with the Father before the world began. Now, that is, that is a theological truth there for us to understand about God that he begins even with this prayer in, in acknowledging and speaking truth to us is that he was there before the very foundation of the world. We see his deity. Uh, he claims he was with the Father before this world began. There are irrefutable unmistakable claims of his deity all throughout this prayer. That's one of the reasons this is sometimes called the high priestly prayer. Uh, but it's not because the prayer itself is so high. It's because the one who is praying is our high priest. He's the one who's always interceding on our behalf. So if Jesus, who was God, come in the flesh, if he needed fellowship and prayer with the Father... How much more us? Think about that. If Jesus himself needed to go to the Father in prayer, I mean, he didn't have to do this. He didn't have to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and spend hours there in agonizing prayer where his sweat became as drops of blood. Uh, he went there and he agonized in that prayer because he loved you and he sets an example for us here in his prayer uh, to, because he is interceding before us and he is God in the flesh. And if God in the flesh needed uh, fellowship and prayer with the Father, how much more do we? So we see his deity, but we also see his humanity. Because when you read through this prayer, one of the things that you're going to see is Jesus, he doesn't use some eloquent language here. He uses the common language that, that every one of us uh, can understand. The language speaks to us. And so here is the great God who's come down to us, and the language indicates a relationship. And that's where we have to begin all prayer with. First of all, do you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Because if you don't know Christ as your Lord and your Savior, and you've never trusted in Him, you could pray for all kinds of things, but, but the Bible tells us that if you regard or hold on to iniquity, sin within your heart, and the greatest uh, problem of sin is rejecting uh, the Holy Spirit, He will not hear from heaven. But when you call out to Him to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you call out to Him to reveal Himself to you, the truth of His Word, He will hear, and He will make Himself known so that you can come by faith to trust in Him him as Lord and Savior. But what a shame for so many of us who profess with our lips to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but we don't spend near enough time in earnest prayer before the Father. You could listen to your own prayers and begin to think, does, this e does my prayer even indicate that I have a relationship with the one I'm praying to? Do I know him as my Lord and my Savior? And, and I would say to you this morning, if you don't know him, I encourage you to call out to him in repentance, and he will hear, and he will save you. But if you're here this morning, 
and you're a believer and maybe your prayer life is not where it needs to be, then I would encourage you also to call out to God in repentance, to, to come before Him and to, and to acknowledge in your own heart that, Lord, my relationship with you is not where it needs to be. And so I need you, Lord, to refresh me, to revive me, to set a fire within my soul once again that relationship that I already have with you. Notice also that the length of this prayer implies a consistency. Now, when you read this prayer for us, this is the longest prayer that Jesus prays. But it's not the longest prayer in the Bible. Uh, although this prayer consumes this entire chapter and countless volumes could be written uh, to comment on its depths, it is relatively short. It could be read in about three minutes, but it is the longest prayer of Jesus. Now, I've heard some long prayers, and I'm sure you've heard some long prayers uh, that were really not great prayers. I've heard some short prayers that were powerful prayers. I've heard some long prayers that were powerful prayers. But Simon Peter, he just prayed, Lord, save me. And Jesus did. You remember the thief? He asked Jesus from the cross. He prayed, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. The sinner in Luke 18 said, have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, again, this is a deep prayer, but it isn't relative, re really a long prayer in comparison to other prayers. And so I believe that this indicates that Jesus was in constant fellowship and communication with the Father. In fact, here's the instruction we're given by Paul when you look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 that says this, pray without ceasing. In other words, uh, it doesn't mean that you, you can't ever say anything else. You, uh, it just all, everything comes out of your mouth has to be a prayer. That's not what that means. What that means is there ought to be a consistency in your life of coming before the Father in prayer. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 says, pray at all times in the Spirit. So one of the things I want you to realize this morning, I don't think our, our great danger is for many of us is that our prayers are too long. I think that our prayers are too infrequent. And it may be that our public prayers sometimes are so long because our private prayers are so few. Notice this prayer of Jesus is a reminder to us that Jesus is the Son of God who maintains a constant communication, a close communication with His Father. And so as we look at the one who is praying this prayer, we're challenged to live in an intimate prayer. He said in verse 1, Father, the hour has come. He says in verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus lived a life of intimate prayer. Are you living a life of intimate prayer? Secondly, we see that Jesus lived a life of intentional purpose. He lived a life of intentional purpose. We see this in verse 2 and verse 3. Notice, first of all, the plan of his father in verse 2. So he had asked the Father to glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Verse 2 continues on and says, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. 
So understand here, Jesus was given authority by the Father to come to this earth to accomplish a task. And that was to save those who were given to him by the Father. In other words, when Jesus came, redemption wasn't an afterthought. God the Father didn't react to the fall as a last-minute fix. He didn't say, well, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, now I've got to do something to fix the problem. Before the fall, even before the creation, he had already predetermined to send his son as the Savior. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 uh, says, the death of Jesus was, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And, and so these verses, and there's many more we could look at. We could spend a lot of time, as we said, on the theological implications of this uh, prayer here. But these verses, along with many more, remind us that the plan of redemption wasn't unfolding on the fly or, or off the cuff. In fact, the sum total of Jesus' life was about fulfilling the divine plan of the Father. Think about this. Everything Jesus said... He said because that's what the Father was saying. He did what he did because that's what the Father was doing. He went where he went because that's where the Father was going. It's an, in, an indictment against our own lives when we spend a lot of time doing other things in our life than fulfilling the, the divine call of God, his divine mandate on our lives. Too often, our lives are being lived for ourselves, rather than being lived for God. And then when we come to God in prayer, uh, we're coming to God and asking Him to do what we want, and we never did what He wanted us to do. Uh, you know, when we come in prayer, we need to come with the heart, Lord, whatever Your will is, I'll do. But so often we come with, I'm going to do what I want to do, but I want You to do what I want You to do. And we come with demands to the Lord. Too often we live lives for us. Uh, the, the pleasure and the purposes of ourselves more than the pleasure and the purposes of God. And so often we act as if uh, Christ is, is some kind of spiritual advisor that, that when he gives his word to us, when he gives us counsel, you can either take it or you can leave it. Rather than coming to him that he is the sovereign Lord, he is the master, and I am going to do whatever he tells me to do. Again, for Jesus, he came because he had an intentional purpose to live out. And that is an indictment against the selfishness that so often grips our hearts, mine included. There's the plan of his father. But there's also the pardon of his followers. Notice verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So we're talking about the intentional purpose of his life. For us as believers here this morning, uh, your life ought no, not to be haphazard. You ought to be seeking out, Lord, what is your purpose for my life? How do you want to use me? 
Is it in music? Is it in teaching? Is it in preaching? Is it in ministering? Is it in serving? Lord, if it's just cleaning the toilets, whatever it is, Lord, I want to serve you and do what you would have me to do. We need to be intentional in the purpose for our life, seeking the Lord's will. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says that Jesus Christ came into the world for this purpose, to save sinners. Luke 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Jesus came. I mean, think about it. How would people be saved? By knowing God, which only happens by knowing Jesus. Think about this. The temple crowd, they could not comprehend a God who would open the eyes of a man born blind because they saw that man being born blind as that was a result of his sin. But one day, Jesus saw him. The Jewish world, they couldn't comprehend a God who would forgive the sin of adultery. But in John chapter 8, you remember they brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and the world couldn't understand. How would God forgive an immoral woman? Your sins are forgiven you, is what Jesus said. The religious world, they couldn't understand a God who, who would cleanse a leper. You didn't touch a leper. I mean, in fact, lepers had to go around with little bells on their garments and, and maybe even little bells in their hand, and they had to be saying, unclean, unclean, unclean. That way nobody would accidentally bump into them or touch them. And so people would spread or part to not touch them. But here comes Jesus, and Jesus came as if to say, let me explain this to you. And he reaches out, and he touches the leper. People were shocked. Touch a leper? Nobody had ever seen something like that. Nobody could imagine a God who, who could raise a man from the dead after four days like he did with Lazarus. John chapter 20 and verse 31 says this, though. All of these things that are written in John's gospel, he said, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here's what I want you to know this morning. I know that my God is full of mercy and full of compassion. How do I know that? Because I've seen it for myself. I've seen it for myself. Who showed you that? Jesus did. Jesus lived an intimate prayer life, and Jesus lived a life of intentional purpose. The ultimate purpose that we're here still on this earth. Because think about it. When you trust Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So why doesn't God just take us on to be with Him? Praise the Lord, I'm ready to go. I don't know about you. But He doesn't. He leaves us here. Why? For a purpose. To seek, to share the gospel with people around us so that they can know Him as Lord and Savior. But it doesn't stop there. It continues on with discipleship and helping them to grow in their walk with Christ so they can again do the same thing. That's how the church has continued on for generation after generation after generation. And yet so often, here in America especially, 
here even in the Bible Belt. My life's about me. And what do I want? And what's my agenda? When it needs to be about His purpose. Thirdly, I want you to see this morning that Jesus lived a life of perfect practice. That's what he says in verse 4. In verse 4 he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now think about that. Everything that Jesus did was perfect. There was nothing that he did in his life, nothing that he said, nowhere that he went, no person that he ministered to, that it wasn't perfect. Every person who ever truly looked at the Lord said the same thing about him. Here's what Judas said. Do you remember what Judas said? Judas said about Jesus, I have betrayed innocent blood. Pilate said, remember Pilate uh, who was in charge there and who could have absolved Jesus and set him free, uh, but he, he kowtowed to the, to the crowds who said, crucify him, give us Barabbas. Pilate was the one who said, I find no fault in him. He's perfect. Remember Pilate's wife called him a just man. The centurion at the cross said, surely this was a righteous man. That repentant thief on the cross said, this man has done nothing wrong. The sinless character of Jesus Christ. We see it manifested in two ways here. One is this, the submission of his will. In fact, that's what we're going to see a little bit later as we come to the end of this prayer, as, as Jesus is there praying in agony in the garden, and as he finishes his prayers there, he says, Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. We see him submitting to the will of the Father. So, so let's look here and see what he says, though, in verse 4. He says, I glorified you on earth. Now, that word glory, of course, can have reference to splendor and majesty. It, it, can, it can reference something golden and elaborate. But John is using it here and, and tends to use this word many times to describe the lowly acts of service. That those lowly acts of service are what is bringing glory to the Father. Leon Morris in his commentary said, John's idea is that real glory is to be seen in lowly service. When someone who is high and powerful chooses to leave that secure and comfortable place in order to engage in humble service, that in John's eyes is real glory. That submissive attitude reaches its climax in a few moments when according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus will pray, let this cup pass, nevertheless, not my will. And so we see him, we see him in eternity past, praised by angels and adored by the universe. We see him come and be sent down into this world and become flesh for the sole purpose of being despised and rejected by his own. And ask yourself, am I really following in the footsteps of Jesus. We see him hanging on the cross, 
dying under the curse of the law and the wrath of God. And we need to ask ourselves, am I really following in his footsteps? Or is it all about me? See, what Jesus came and said and demonstrated over and over and over is that it was about us. It was about others. It wasn't about himself. He loved us with a deep love. Our culture says, you deserve to be happy. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. There's the submission of his will. And then we see the success of his work. So understand this, the cross is so certain for Jesus at this point that it is as good as done. And that Jesus puts it in the past tense. Notice what he says again, I glorified you on earth, past tense, having accomplished, past tense, the work that you gave me to do. Not the work I'm doing right now. It's as good as done, he's saying. It's the past tense. And why not? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, it's not going to change his mind. When he's there in agony and prayer and those sweat drops of blood are coming, that doesn't change his mind. When he goes to the religious trial after he's arrested, that's not going to change his path. The unjust trials before Herod and before Pilate, none of that is going to derail his mission. He has an appointment with a cross of redemption. And that moment was prophesied all the way back from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. It was prophesied to Adam and Eve's, in, in Eden's garden. It was foreshadowed by Noah on the ark. It was personified by Abraham at the top of Mount Moriah when he gets ready to offer Isaac there as a sacrifice. Moses painted a picture of it with the blood of the lamb that was put over the doorposts. Jesus knows the moment is here. And he begins, the hour has come. The hour has come. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. In other words, what we see in these verses is that a debt had to be paid. A work had to be done. The debt is sin. The work is sacrifice. And, and although it's going to take us some more time here, uh, even as we continue on through the study uh, of the life of Jesus here, to get to that moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says those infamous words that we so often remember, it is finished. He's already saying that here in this prayer. It's already done. It's already done. I've already accomplished the work that you gave me to do. The hour has come. It is finished. And it was in that moment that all the wrath against all my sin and against all your sin was satisfied. Jesus lived a life of intimate prayer. He lived a life of intentional purpose. And he lived a life of perfect practice. Now there's more we're going to get into in this prayer next Sunday. 
So I want to encourage you to come back next Sunday. But understand this and ask yourself this. Is this characteristic of my prayers? Are my prayers sacrificial? Do I come before the holy, righteous God as Moses came before that burning bush to speak to God? You are coming in prayer. Think about that. As a believer, you are coming in prayer before a holy and a righteous God. It is indeed holy ground. Don't treat prayer flippantly. Don't, don't treat it as if something added on to the, to the end of my day or, or added on before I eat a meal. Make sure that when you're praying to God the Father, you have that intimate relationship with Him. But then make sure also that you are following in the footsteps of Jesus, that you are living a life of sacrifice that says to the Lord in your prayers, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will. Whatever you want, Lord, whatever you need to do, whatever you need to change, whatever you need to teach me, whatever you need to make me, wherever you need to send me, Whatever you need me to say, I'm ready to do it, Lord. Only then will you begin to pray like Jesus prayed. Let's pray. Father, there's not a single one of us who are here, including myself, who at times, Lord, we find our prayers become routine. It's almost, Lord, when we come before you that we're just going through the motions. We're saying the same old things that we've always said to you. We're not coming in the intimacy of the relationship that we profess with our lips to have with you. So, Father, if there are those who are here this morning who have never by faith trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation for them. Father, I pray that they would call out to you in the greatest prayer we could ever pray, Lord, save me. Just like Peter prayed, a simple, simple prayer. Lord, save me. And Father, I pray that if we call out to you in that, Lord, may we acknowledge what you've done for us that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, that he was resurrected from the grave to give us eternal life. And I want to ask you this morning, Jesus, to come into my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Lord, if someone has prayed something like that in their hearts this morning, may they come this morning to profess that faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior publicly, and then to follow through in the waters of baptism, of believer's baptism. Father, I pray this morning that you will use this in our hearts as believers to continually, Lord, help us to examine our hearts, even in our prayers. Am I praying as if I'm praying to one I know? Not one that I just pray to occasionally, but I, I have a life uh, of intentional prayer an intentional purpose. And Father, I'm being consistent and I'm having conversations with you throughout the day and throughout the night even, throughout the week, not just occasionally. 
Father, I pray this morning that if we find ourselves there as believers, may we come confessing our sinfulness before you, that our relationship is not where it needs to be, and our prayer life is certainly not where it needs to be. Lord, I pray that you will reignite within our hearts a passion to know you more fully, to spend more time with you. And Father, may these truths that we've learned this morning about the character and the nature of Jesus in his prayers would be the prayers of our life. So bless this message this morning and whatever decisions need to be made. Maybe there's some you've been working on to come and to join this fellowship, to seek to do your kingdom work in and through this church. Lord, whatever decisions need to be made, may you be glorified and honored as we submit ourselves to you and to your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation number 290. I am thine, O Lord. As the Lord lays on your heart, will you come this morning? Brother Mike, if you'll come. you to be seated for just a moment, Brother Stan, if you'll come and share our announcements. Good morning. Miss Linda just gave me a note. Please pray for Awana. It's a fabulous ministry we have at this church. Pray that we can get more kid folks to rotate kids, folks to substitute, folks to help clean up after the meal, and some folks to help Miss Felicia a couple of Wednesdays a month. So that's a specific prayer request Miss Linda has asked us for. You're having a volunteer supper and meeting. Is that this Wednesday, Miss Linda, at 5.30 to 6.30 in the fellowship hall? Building and grounds will meet at the piano immediately following this service and on those same lines. If you can be here Tuesday morning to help put chairs back in the fellowship hall and take out pews, see Jimmy Gaddis. Deacon election has started today. The box is in the back, so fill out your deacon ballot, fill those out. Fifth Sunday Sing will happen next week. Unfortunately, Bobby Farrell, Fifth Sunday Dinner will not happen next week. But we'll make that up to you sometime, Mr. Bobby. Any prayer concerns? Let us pray. 
Our gracious Lord, thanks for this time we can come to your house and study your word and praise your holy name. Thank you for this nation that we live in, that we can freely do that. With our military personnel around the world, guarding our borders, dear Lord, may your hand of protection be upon them. With those serving and following foreign lands, spreading your gospel, may your hand of protection and wisdom be with them as they spread your love, mercy, and grace. Help our church continue to be a beacon of light in our community, in our state, and in our nation. Amen.